Okay, so this evening I want to start off with a story about my dog Selena as I lean back in my chair sipping on a tea that has double the amount of normal caffeine in it. So if I come off a little uh, excited, normally I'm excited, but it may be a little more so uh, because of this tea. It's some kind of knee-high or herbal tea with an extreme amount of caffeine. So I'm loving it. It helps me stay up late and do these podcasts and do uh, all type of research and writing. So I'm loving the tea. But I'm starting off today with Selena, my dog. I've had her for uh, going on two years. She's a pit bull mixed with a mastiff. She's awesome. She's absolutely beautiful. I need to put some pictures of her up here. I may make her picture the uh, title picture you see when you I think I will do that when you when you view the podcast. People won't understand why the podcast Overcoming Fear has a picture of a uh, pit bull mastiff mix. She's not even all that big, but she's really beautiful. She's gorgeous. And I had her, and, and uh, she's always just the most fearless dog ever. I mean, absolutely fearless. Someone would come to the door. Uh, she wouldn't be one of those barking dogs. She would growl. She was just fearless. Nothing uh, she wasn't afraid to jump on anything or jump off of anything. She was absolutely fearless. Well, I went to this church to help them do some uh, leadership training. And while I was, I was there for like three months, three to six months, and I was really uh, digging into the leadership training. And one of the people, uh, one of the leaders there uh, got diagnosed with cancer. We prayed for her, prayed for her healing. Uh, and while she was undergoing a chemotherapy, she says, hey, I have a lot of animals. Will you take one? So I did. Uh, and the one I took, I, I named her Megan. And now Megan's afraid of her own shadow. You walk towards her, she'd pee. You try to hold her and just pet her, she'd pee. She gets excited, she'd pee. Uh, she would just, just, she would pee all the time, excited or afraid, but she's more afraid than anything she would hide under my table. And what I noticed after a few months that Selena, who was absolutely fearless, not afraid of anything, she began to do the same. She even peed once. When I approached her, like, and started shaking as if she was afraid. And she was never afraid of anything. Definitely not of me. She would always jump in me and try to sit on my lap. But she had learned how to be afraid. She'd even start hang, uh, hanging out under the table with Megan. And something hit me. It hit me that you're born fearless, but you have to learn to be afraid. Think of a baby. Think of a baby. A baby will jump off of uh, the stroller. Uh, out of the stroller, will jump off of the bed. Uh, they will climb anything. It will put anything in its mouth. It's fear. It's just not afraid. But over time, society and people teach it what? You need to be afraid of this. You need to be afraid of that. Don't say this. Be afraid. You need to be politi politically correct. Don't say this. You don't want a backlash. Don't do this. You need to be afraid of this happens. So you have to learn to be afraid. And Selena has inspired the topic for this evening, overcoming fear. I want to start off with a definition, primogeniture. Now, primogeniture is this. It's the state of being the firstborn child. That's all it means. It means the state of being the firstborn child. The right of succession belonging to the firstborn child, especially the feudal rule by which the whole real estate of an interstate passed, uh, interstate passed to the eldest son. Noun, right of primogeniture. Or now rights of primogeniture. And all of these are in the notes, people. So check them out. I always say, don't believe me. Believe the notes. 
research for yourself. I put the links to where I find the stuff in uh, every message, in every podcast. Uh, I'm like LeVar Burden from Reading Rainbow. You don't have to take my word for it. Primogeniture rights. Now, in Hebrew, there were several primogeniture rights, and I want to read off a couple to you. One is the double portion. Let's go to Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17, right? A father was obliged to acknowledge his firstborn son as his principal heir and to grant him a double portion of his estate as inheritance. Some people mix this up. You say, okay, there was two sons, and the eldest son would get two-thirds. That doesn't mean he always got two-thirds, but if it was only two sons, a double portion of what the second son got would be two-thirds. Think of it. If it's broken up into thirds and one gets two of them, one gets one, that means he has a double portion. If it was more sons, he may get half because half would be double what each other one got. Right? So he always, regardless the amount of sons, you had to do the math and he received a double portion. Next is a special blessing. Part of the uh, primogeniture rights was a special blessing. So the, the father, before he passed, would would put his his hands on the son. The son may even put his hands between the father's thighs as a, a right of submission and a, a passing on of the lineage from the thighs of the father to the hands of the son. So he received a special blessing. The office of high priest of his clan or tribe was part of his primogeniture blessing. So the eldest, the firstborn, became the spiritual leader and spiritual head, not only of his family, but of the entire tribe. All of his brothers, the brothers' wives, the cousins, nieces, nephews, the entire clan uh, was under the spiritual tutelage of the firstborn. Next blessing, the fourth blessing, had a position of authority and leadership. So not only was he the, the spiritual head, he was also the physical head. We go to the land I say we're going to. We're moving to the areas I said we're moving to. We're going to sell the livestock or harvest that I say we're going to sell. He had an authority, authoritative blessing. It was part of his rights. And the fifth was procreative vigor. The Hebrew word vigor kind of ties back into being the firstborn. He had the first pick of the females. Remember, he is the head, so he's going to have the, the best female, the prettiest female, the strongest, the healthiest, to pass on those rights too, because now his family is going to inherit those primogeniture rights. Let's go on to a live example of this. Stay with me here. We're going to see how this all ties in. Genesis 27. This is where Jacob gets blessed. Easy enough. Verse 27. So Jacob went over and kissed him. Okay. He's kissing Isaac. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he finally convinced. He was finally convinced and he believed his son, basically believed that Jacob was Esau. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So now Isaac is going to bless Jacob. From the dew of heaven and the riches of the earth, my God, always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. He's going into the double portion blessing. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. This is the position of authority and leadership. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is not only the leadership, authoritative, this goes into the spiritual blessing. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. This is part of the spiritual blessing and the special blessing. He's receiving the full fuller here. 
Isaac is blessing Jacob with the double portion, with a special blessing, with the office of high priest. You will be blessed. All who bless you will be blessed. A portion of the position of authority and leadership, your brothers are going to bow down to you. A position of power, the nations will bow down to you, which also goes to the procreative vigor. You're going to be able to have any woman in any nation. Now, all of this is passed down to Jacob from Isaac. Now, that brings up a, a couple of questions here. Let's go to the first question. First question is, why does God hate cowards? Why does God hate cowards? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of the heavens like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Verse 6. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 8, but cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You can say, okay, unbelievers, we know that Jesus is the way. They're, they don't get uh, to go to heaven. The corrupt, when you think corrupt, I think corrupt politicians, those that benefit the wealthy at the expense of hurting the, the poor and powerless. I get it. They go to hell. The murderers, the, those that are immoral, those like pedophiles, those that rape children, I get it. They don't make it to heaven. Those who practice witchcraft, worshiping devils, and idol worship, those that worship idols, those that are liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake. They go to hell. But the first one he says, and notice that there's no word as idle in the Bible. There's no position there is idle that's idle. Notice that the very first thing is but cowards. But cowards. But cowards. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This burned my mind for years and years. Why do cowards go to hell? Why is it such a problem being afraid? Why is being cowardly a sin punishable by an eternal death, the second death, the lake of burning sulfur, something so hot that it burns your flesh and your soul. Why just being afraid? Why being a coward? And that's, that brought me to Romans 9, 13. Only one verse. It says, in the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now, this is God speaking. And we see Isaac just blessed Jacob. He, he blessed him with all of the blessings on all of the rights of the primogeniture. So I understand why God loves Jacob. He has the blessings of Isaac, who God also loved, who God favored. And Jacob, uh, excuse me, Isaac has passed, passed on the primogeniture rights to Jacob. But that doesn't explain why he hated Isaac, uh, Esau. It says, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Or I hated Esau. Some scriptures say that. Jacob, I loved Esau. I hate it. Let's, to really understand this, we need to go to Genesis 25. 
As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. Okay, it's going good so far. He was an outdoorsman. Who can't love an outdoorsman? You smell like the outdoors. You, you go and hunt a man's man. Men love men's men. Women love a man's man. Why doesn't God love a man's man? But it has nothing to do with him being a man's man. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. He was a mama's boy. Isaac loved Esau. Even Isaac loved Esau. What, what is going? It's perfect uh, so far. Because he enjoyed eating wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. We're going to find out why this red is so significant in the story of time, the story of salvation, the the red blood of Jesus. People are red hot. We're going to understand kind of where red comes in. 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn. And now we get to the nitty gritty. We read earlier, well, we read in Genesis 27, that Isaac blessed Jacob with the primogeniture rights. And now we see why Esau, we're gonna, we, we understand later Esau is, you know, he's kind of upset. And we also see why God is so upset. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn. So Esau comes in, he says he's starved. And he, he says, Jacob, give me some of that red stew. This marks Esau's life forever. For the rest of his life, they call him Red. Because he traded his rights as the firstborn, his primogeniture rights, for some red stew. Now, why would he do that? Verse 32, look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So Esau is afraid that he's going to die. He's been out hunting. He's been out hunting, and he's a great hunter. which means he has game on him, but he can't eat it raw. And now he's come back with all of this game. He's probably trekked. For miles, he hadn't eaten in possibly days. Now he's starving and he fears that he's going to die of starvation, literally. And he comes to Jacob and says, listen, give me some of that stew now, boy. And Jacob says, hey, I've made this, but if you want it, trade me your rights as the firstborn. No one would agree to that, right? Verse 33. But Jacob said, first you must swear that, you, that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn, his primogeniture rights to his brother Jacob. 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So now we, this is verse 25. Now we understand why in, excuse me, this is Genesis chapter 25. And now we understand when we get to Genesis chapter 27, why Isaac is blessing Jacob. Esau has promised Jacob the rights of his firstborn. Um, Isaac, unbeknownst to really Isaac, right? So Jacob dresses up and tries to smell like, my, like Esau, his brother. He goes to Isaac. His father tricks him into thinking he's Esau so he can receive Esau's blessing, which in, in earnest is his because Esau traded it to him for some red stew. And now we can understand why cowards go to hell. What does that mean? What do you mean? Now we understand why cowards go to hell. We understand why cowards, why God has such a contempt and a hate for being a coward. 
Because when you're afraid, you don't walk into your blessing because of your fear. We have to understand that God didn't bring us to the point he brought us to to let us die of starvation, to let us die in a desolate place, to let us die without his, his grace and mercy being on our lives. See, Esau was willing to give up his primogeniture rights. What did he give up? He gave up his double portion. He gave up his double portion of land, his double portion of blessing, his double portion in life. Everything he touched, he would have had a double portion, just like Elisha gave to Elisha. He gave up his special blessing. Isaac said, listen, may God give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. He gave up the office of high priest. Also curse who curse you and all who bless will bless you. That's a spiritual blessing. He gave up a position of authority. Many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. He gave up his position of leadership. May, your master, may you be master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. He gave up his rights as pro procreative vigor to all the nations that he would rule. And we know that Jacob becomes Israel and Israel is the nation of Israel. So now we understand clearly, clearly why God hated Esau. God says, I made you the firstborn and I made no mistakes. I did have to test you. Jesus had to bear the cross. John had to bear the, 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 the axe at his neck. Noah had to bear the flood. Deborah had to bear war. Samuel even had to battle self-righteous king. Privilege doesn't come without struggle. But that's why faith isn't something to be had. It's something to be walked out. It's something that's not just like a hammer you possess. It's something that you do. It's something that you live. It's something that you move on. It's something you've been persuaded to do and act upon. See, see Esau had the right to the double portion, the special blessing, the, the office of high priest, the authority, the leadership, and the procreative vigor. The only problem is when he was sent to the test, when he was sent to the wilderness, he came back with the game and with the hunt. But he thought that God gave him the victory in the wilderness, but wouldn't give him the victory at home. The Bible says that a prophet is without honor in his own land. Jesus went away and was honored. But the hardest test is when you have to come back into your own house and you're disrespected. You got to come back in your own job and people are looking at you crazy. You have to come back to your own friends and they don't see the redemption. The test is not in the world. They don't know you. You can paint yourself however you want to paint yourself. The test is when you have to come back home. And he came back home. And he didn't believe that God had him at home. So he traded his, his primogeniture rights for some red stew. They would call him red for the rest of eternity. Today we still call him the Edomites, his descendants, the red people, the second class, because they traded the first class for some red stew. I want to tell you this today. If you've made the foolish mistake, because it is foolish, not calling you a fool. I don't want to be judged by God. But if you made a foolish mistake of trading your primogeniture rights for some red stew, I'm here to tell you that the red blood of Jesus is a redeemer. And it can redeem your rights so that you, you get now the double portion that you should have had if you hadn't traded your innocence. You get now the special blessing that you should have had if you would have listened to those that were trying to give you wisdom. You get the office of the high priest and you can walk as the head of your household if you're a man. You can walk under the blessing and the covering of God if you're a woman. You can walk in the anointing if you're the children, just as if you never made a sin, if you never made a mistake, as if you never cheated, never lied because of the red blood covering the red stew. 
You can have your position of authority back. You can hold your head up and have the leadership back. Being a, a man's man, a commander of men. If you're a woman, a commander of women. Leadership positions in your church and on your job and in your life. You can have the authority back because the red blood covers the mistake of the red stew. And you can have your, your home back and you're blessed, your procreative vigor. Your children will be blessed and they will be honored. Even if you made a few mistakes in raising them because your red stew is covered by the red blood of Jesus. Understand that we all have some red stews in our life, but thank you, Jesus, for the red blood.